about later. Now, look, I'm just going to start with something happened a few weeks ago. It had a huge effect on our own um, property around here. Uh, something happened. Um, you may have been aware of it, but there was a wind. In fact, there were a number of winds. As I heard the other day, there was, um, it was quite fascinating. Um, uh, they were all called strange names, weren't they? Do you remember there was Eunice? There was Franklin? There was Gladys? And there was Herman? I think most of them go to Thursday Fellowship, don't they? But anyhow, the point is, is that we had these strange named storms that hit, didn't they? And one aspect of it that we got mesmerized about is on this video for like 55 seconds. For me, it was one of the classiest moments. You just love it. It's like there were more people watching that at certain points than were watching the Winter Olympics, all right, at one point in this country. And it was unbelievable, wasn't it? We were battered so much so that <clears throat> it wasn't Eunice that finally took out the tree at the back. It was Franklin. And uh, we're still living with the effects of it. But it was astounding, wasn't it? What was really interesting is one of the things he said, someone was saying this at uh, the conference we were at, was that um, <clears throat> recently was that... Most of the time, obviously, when they come into land, they go, come in on autopilot. I don't know whether you realize that, but they come in on autopilot. I don't know whether that makes you feel better or not, but that's what normally happens when a plane lands. Uh, yes, they've got their hands near, but actually they're guided in. But in those situations, it's completely manual. And what they do is they often they fly in at an angle. You probably saw the angle there, and then they flip it around just before they come in. And it is totally by manual guidance. Isn't it incredible what these pilots do? Go on, son. Go on, son. It was amazing, wasn't it? That fantastic. Tupicho, it was fantastic. It's sort of, but you know what? I think in some ways that's what we've been through. We have been battered, haven't we? We've been in a time of battering where it's been a bit like that. And I've got to say even leading church has been a little bit like that. Been a bit like, I can't do it on autopilot. We can't do life on autopilot. But certainly I find you can't do church on autopilot. It's been very much a manual sense of help, Lord. Help me, help me, help me. And and, and see how we go with this, with this plane. And so there's been that sense of going around uh, for everything. I think we've discovered so much about it. And I want to say thank you, really, because I would say as a church, in many ways, we've not just survived, we are thriving. There are many things that we need to praise God for, even in the midst of what had been incredibly tough. I know for many people, for many of you uh, who are still feeling vulnerable on, online, maybe, and can't come out and whatever, they're still around, but actually there's been an incredible thriving that's gone on. And we discovered things we never knew and ways of doing church, even, for example, even like live streaming and that sort of thing. We would never have done if it hadn't been for that. And yesterday, a bunch of us were on a leadership day away at home because we didn't have anywhere else to go and we stayed here. And we had a fantastic time just dreaming and thinking through the things that God might have in store for us uh, in these next few months and years. And just grappling with what it's it mean to have a kingdom culture 
in the future. And you know what? I really believe, honestly, the Spirit is up to something in this place and through this place and through the people here. Can I have a faint nod? I think the Spirit of God is doing something. Uh, and a sense that there's something rumbling away. There are people being added to faith. There are people coming along that would never have come along. But it's something bubbling away because people are saying, where is hope? And for some reason they're saying, actually, maybe that funny old church on the corner up on the hill is a place where maybe there's some hope. And people are searching and trying to find truth in that place. And, you know, I want to say really as I uh, flick on this and, and hopefully go through is that, you know, the vision itself has not changed even though the world has been buffeting, this vision we came up with on Leadership Day about three years ago is this. We want to see the transformation of Barnet and beyond with the love of Jesus one life at a time. It might just be one at a time, but we want to see Jesus affecting people in such a way that lives are transformed. That is our vision. And shifting on from that, and we're talking and begin to try and work out what that was meaning with some dreams, which I've only picked up on a bit overnight. But basically, we want to do a number of things in our values. The values are who we really are. You can have a great vision, but your values are who you really are. Uh, do forgive me, I'm going to get quite excited about this because there are things here that are, are, are so true. But we want to be passionately Jesus-focused. Jesus at the center of our things. Can you imagine that we would be a people that are so hungry for God, we're so committed to praying each day um, and spending time with him, that we cannot survive without hearing his voice? Let's dream it, okay. We're passionately Jesus-focused. That there's prayer, 24-7 prayer even, prayer weeks, a house of prayer for all nations. That we would have worship that would be so honoring to God in the way that we do it. In whatever style, in whatever way it might be, quiet or noisy or whatever. But actually it's worshiping God. We, we said last, uh, yesterday we want to commit ourselves and work towards having a full-time worship director, music person. Who can really guide us and help us in this whole thing. That we would have opportunities to hear the Holy Spirit and, and sense the presence of God. That we would maybe at some point move away from having the carpet we have here that we've had for the last 45 to 50 years. And maybe have a new carpet and redo the floors and maybe different chairs. And maybe make it a place that's more welcoming in some ways towards maybe a cafe refreshments area. And a few other things that we want to look at. A welcome area, all that stuff. You're getting reasonably excited about that. Okay, I know it's a building thing, but we want to be passionately Jesus-focused to provide a place where people can focus on Jesus. We want to be outrageously authentic in our community, real community. Imagine a place where it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your background, you can come and be and feel like you belong in that place. Whatever your ethnicity, whatever you are, you are truly welcomed. A place where we can really grow disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples to make disciples. That sort of place. That would be risk-takingly missional. That our thoughts would be outwards all the time. Not about what does it mean for me, but what does it mean for the world. That evangelists could be trained. That all of us would be equipped to know how we can talk about our faith. That we would appoint a compassion team coordinator that can oversee the growth of our compassion ministries in the future. For an open door center that's not just a base where we can have cracking coffee and great cake and nice paninis and breakfasts, but a place which is just purely, it's not just purely a place, but a base for reaching out. A base that is reaching out and connecting into our community. Where Alpha is available to all, where we can use it in different ways. Where we can be planting other expressions of ministry and church 
I'd love to see that, where we can find ways to do that. And support for mission in the UK and beyond that grows from what we just prayed about, where we give about 13% a year to 15%. I'd love to see the amount we give to grow uh, in, in exponentially. And even have short-term mission trips, not just for the young people, but for old people like me. Well, we can go across and we can do short-term mission trips and receive so much from that. And that underneath it all, we'd be foundationally secure, loving the Word of God, encouraging ourselves in growing in the Bible, but also being open to the Holy Spirit and what He wants to say. Having maybe a training academy that enables all of us to, to get more hungry for the things of God. Are you getting reasonably excited? I'm talking about vision here. I'm talking about... This, but I want to add something here today that's deeply countercultural, particularly in our current time, particularly in this time of rising costs and lots of things going on. I want, if you like, and we haven't agreed this is another value, but I want us to become irrationally generous. I want us to become irrationally generous. That we would, in the words of Jesus in Acts 20, uh, 20 verse 35, he said these things. He said this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can we hear that again? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said those words, it says in Acts 20, 35. And I want to share this because I've been on a journey, and I recognize I've been reflecting on this, that I've been on a journey myself in terms of the whole area of generosity and giving in my own life. I grew up in a a church, in a family, fantastic parents who loved me, but very often when it came to the area of money, uh, even in my own, my, own, you know, my own household, it wasn't really something we talked about a great deal. You know, very British thing to do. We didn't really talk about it much. But certainly, we only really talked about it when things were really, really tough. It tended to be in the moments when we didn't really have enough and suddenly it would come on the agenda. And I remember that was very much my way of thinking, really, I suppose. And just before I got married... In 1989, there was a book that came out by a guy called Stephen Covey called uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I do recommend it. It's a great book, quite a thin book. uh, And uh, it talks about a number of things in there. But one of the things that hit me in that time, I was just about to get married as well. So um, it was quite an interesting period in my life where I was having to shift to realize it wasn't just about me. It was actually about someone else in my life. And uh, what he talks about in there is a thing called a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset And he says, we have to shift to an abundance mindset. And I remember being struck by that in those days. Um, Because what I started to realize that for many, many years, I've been operating what I would call a scarcity mindset. What I mean by that is that you basically believe there's not enough to go around. And um, there's always a lack in many ways. Um, And so as a result of that, you get what you can because it might run out. That would be a, a scarcity mindset. Whereas an abundant mindset, there's always more. There's always more. I mean, some would use the half glass, glass full and half empty. I, I don't really get that one. I'm still, whenever, whenever I hear that, I try to work out which is what, you know, which is the, whatever. Um, but it's not really that. It's more than that. It's an abundance. In a faith perspective, what that means is we have an abundant or powerful God who can always provide. That's effectively what the abundance mindset is saying. Uh, if you like, um, it's like an apple pie, all right? A lovely apple pie, right? Something like a nice apple pie. And, and, and someone cuts out a little section of it, maybe a quarter of it or something like that. Now, a scarcity-minded um, mindset, if you like, says, wait a minute, there's not enough for me in here, you know? Um, and you want to guard what's mine. Whereas an abundant mindset says, 
have half, you know, and maybe we can make another one. That would be, if you like, a shift to an abundance mindset. And so I suppose for many years I thought um, I was giving. I was definitely giving at that time, but I wasn't very generous. Do, do you see what I'm saying in relation to that? Uh, even as a member of my family, the approach was very much sort of tended to be, will I have enough to get through? I'm not denying anything to do with we need to be organized, we need to, to, to make sure we're not you know, cavalier. But by nature, my scarcity mindset would stay, well, basically, is it enough? Fascinating was when I met Mary's, my wife's family, because they had and uh, they, they, they have, have always had an abundance mindset. And it was crazy. It blew my mind the way they were so generous, not just in terms of their finances, but their time, their money, their house, their everything. And it completely blew my mind. And I've got to say, much of it was related as well to um, coming into understanding more about being open to the Holy Spirit. I knew when the Holy Spirit filled me, it changed my whole attitude towards God himself. Suddenly God became not this distant person, but he was my father. And suddenly my father, who would give good gifts to his children, was, was full of abundance because it was the bank of heaven and his credit was available and went on and on and on. And suddenly I was filled because of his love for me. I knew he would provide for me. And today I just want to look at this thing. God is always calling us to an irrational generosity. And I'm using these verses if you want to follow in 2 Corinthians 8. So it's page 1163 if you want to use that. And I'm going to talk about this church uh, that is referred to by Paul in Corinth. So it's number, uh, page 1163, 2 Corinthians 8. And it was read by Chris just now. And just a, a bit of background. Corinth uh, is, is this, this church that, that Paul is speaking to. And uh, he's trying to encourage them to give to, uh, to, to God's work. And, um, and he highlights the Macedonians. Well, why the Macedonians? Well, basically, they were dirt poor. They were incredibly poor. They were one of the poorest areas uh, of, the, of the empire, if you like, at that time. Um, but in spite of that, they give this massive gift. And they are amazing here. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. In the midst of a very serious trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Do you hear that? Even in their poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. And then we move on to this stunning verse here. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Question to, 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 to all of us. When was the last time that you uh, gave as much as I was able and even beyond my ability? When was that last time? Then verse 4, it says, fascinatingly, even though they were poor, they had lots of needs, no doubt. I'm sure their heating was going up in price, all that stuff. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And it's like they're saying here, Paul, look, Paul might have said, look, look, don't really, look, you're in a really bad place. You're really struggling. You don't have to give. And in essence, actually, you know, when it comes to it, we don't have to give. God can survive without us. But the fact is Paul's saying that. But they're going, no, 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 no. We're pleading with you. We want to give. We just have to give. We just have to because of what God has done in our lives. We want the mission of God to be furthered. So we just want to give. And it's so different, isn't it, to very often how we operate, you know? One of the things I'm so glad about in the ministry and the church I've been in, I've, I've never led a church that's had a jumble sale, all right? 
And I really want to say I praise God for that. Partly because for all the work that goes into it, if anybody's ever been involved over the years, I grew up with this, for years and years and years, we never really, really actually raised that much, but people felt very warm about themselves. Genuinely, for the amount of input, there wasn't much output very often. And the cake sales and other things, they're all very sweet and nice, but you know, very often we try and find enough, if you like, to get through. Someone will come back at me on that, I know, whatever. But so often, they, you know, we try and gimmick our way through. There's some gimmicks that are really appalling in relation to this whole thing. Rather than realizing here, none of that, it just says they urgently pleaded, said, we just want to give for the extension of the kingdom. Verse 5, it goes on to say, they gave themselves first to the Lord. So they basically say, take my life, Lord. And then it says, they move on to say, but as they did it, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now I want to call us to a church that we will lead the way in irrational generosity. That actually they would know that to be the case as one of our values, that we are incredibly generous. And I know we are, and we have been. But I'm calling us to um, uh, that sense of irrational things because we truly believe, as it says here, it is more blessed to give than to receive the words of Jesus. So question really, and you don't have to answer this at all, but where would you be, I don't know whether you can see that, on that scale, all right? And now I'm presuming most of you will not be one or ten. If you're ten, more generous. That means like you're Jesus, basically, okay? <laughs> all right? So we'll, we'll, we'll leave out ten. But in relation to these things, where would you say you are? All right, I'll leave that with you to think about on the scale. Are you a less generous person or you are a more generous person in how you think? Now, we often overrate ourselves or underrate ourselves in these things very often. But I want to make us consider it because, you see, it might be, for example, you're someone who um, you know, gives a lot, but actually most people might consider it, it uh, to, to not be a lot. Uh, and you could give a big amount but not actually be that generous. On the other hand, you could have almost nothing and give what many would think is not much. But for you, that's a lot. And you're generous. And so there's a differentiation. Generosity is something deeper. And, and maybe you know, when we think about these things, it's not so much what you give, but how much you keep for yourself. You know, the revelation for me is I hadn't really heard about this thing called tithing which is this encouragement that God owns everything. But he says right from the beginning of the Bible, he says, you know what? 10% should come back to God towards your local church. And he invites us into that. And what I found for myself in my own life, that actually as I've done that, God has given so much more abundantly from the other 90%. It has extrapolated itself. It's exploded itself beyond those particular things. And within that 90%, the fun has been to give more away. And be irrationally generous. To shift into that abundance mindset. I suppose I want to encourage us above all things to know that heart in relation to these things. There will be the call in a minute. But the fact is, is above all things that we would have that irrational generosity. Because we have such a generous God, don't we? Who gave his all and gave his life that we might live. This is an amazing verse here in in, in Isaiah 32.8. It says this, Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. 
They plan to do what is generous. You know, when you've got something exciting you want to do, like, for example, my aim this year is I want to get into golf, all right, properly, all right? I've done cricket all my life, and frankly, I can't go down to the ball. I get the youngsters to go and run for the ball, and various other things that are starting. But I think I'm moving on to cricket now. Give me 10 years, I'll be into bowls. But anyhow, sorry, Paul, I know you like your bowls. But the point is, is that... At the moment, it's golf. So what do I do? I'm planning for my golf. I'm planning, uh, looking at a club and thinking, crumbs, that's expensive. But anyhow, you know, whatever. But I plan and I'm going to buy the club. So I look all the stuff out. I plan it, don't I? If you've got something you really love and you really want to treasure, you plan for it, don't you? You plan your way into it. You explore all the things. It says here, generous people plan to do what is generous. That actually, it's the same thing. We're going to plan what we give. And we stand firm in that. That even in a culture that says consume, 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 we're in the other way going give, give, give. As a countercultural statement. You see, and I came across this quote the other day, really powerful. Giving is not just what we do, but generous is who we are. Giving is not just what we do. Um, sorry, giving is just what we do, but generous is who we are. God has this amazing opportunity available to us. Yeah, we can talk about the tithe, but also it's not held by that in the New Testament, in fact. The New Covenant states that actually we're not defined by that. It actually can be more than that. I remember coming across this. My first time, my scarcity mindset locked in completely. Immediately locked in to place. How can I do that? How can I get through? But as I said already, I've realized it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that actually from that moment when I knew about the abundance of the Father, I started to realize fresh things about myself. And so I want to share these things really uh, to just inform you of where we're at as a church in relation to these things. Why am I getting excited? Firstly, and the first place genuinely is, I honestly believe it's a personal thing. I actually believe that on a personal basis, when we shift into this, something shifts in our lives. Something shifts in our relationship with God. Something begins to happen. That suddenly the treasure that we are investing in brings treasure and blessing in our own lives. But secondly, out of this irrational generosity, is I want to encourage us to consider giving into the life of the church. Many of you have consistently given, and I say praise God and thank you for that over the years. But one of the calls at the moment for us in everything that's going on as we're pressing into these dreams that I talked about and plans, uh, but also some of the things that we're already pressing into is that we actually need a, a commitment to regular giving as a church. Because I honestly believe, I honestly believe the local church is the hope of the world. You know this refugee crisis thing? This guy Chris Kandara mentioned, you know what? The church has led the way in most of the housing of refugees in this country. Most of the housing. Yes, there's been some through the councils, but largely a lot of it has come through the churches. The church has stepped up and been generous in so many different ways. We can be the hope of the world and the transformation of Barnet and beyond with the love of Jesus one life at a time, I believe, can happen. So God has some great things in store. Recently at PCC, we agreed a budget for this year, which is a deficit budget. I would prefer to call it a faith Budget, uh, and it, that's purely to cover a lot of the things we've committed to over the last few years or so. And um, uh, it's meaning that we're going to have to actually raise our income by at least 5% this year, probably more in the light of utilities and other things that are expensive. 
And how are we going to do this? Now, the scarcity mindset is fine, but that would very much be, how can we find enough to cover it and cover this year? And then look back going, ah, great. I want to say, wouldn't it be great to be talking about an abundance where we actually are talking about what are the things that we could do and the possibilities of what things we could press into? Now, I know for many of you, and it's right, you might be asking the question, but where does the money go? We need to know. If we're going to give in to this, where does it go? And that's a very good question, particularly any millennials out there. You just want to know where it's going to go. All right? So, in relation to that, first thing I want to say is we receive, and this is, I hear this so often, we receive no income from the Church of England. All right? I know we're part of the Church of England, but there's no bank of the Church of England. There's no government funding of anything about this place. All right? Really important to say that because sometimes people have this idea, this, this big bucket that gets poured out from time to time. Nothing. Everything we spend money on is covered by the gifts of people in the life of this church. But these are some of the things, if you can see it, hopefully, uh, as we look at the budget for this year that we're looking to cover. There's a thing called the, the Common Fund, all right, which is, um, very briefly, funds my wages. And now you think, crumbs, he's not bad. He's not paid that badly at all. Um, the point is, I get a fraction of that, uh, around about 28,000, 29,000, all right, just so you know, all right, being open about that. But in addition to that, it's helping towards the, the, my, my huge castle that I live in, uh, and, uh, you know, which I'm, I praise God for and we love using, um, but also uh, for areas of training and also actually to help out other churches that are struggling. So that's where that 86 thousand goes towards all right just so you know uh, and that's important secondly staff salaries we've obviously had a number of people join the church over the last few years whether it's james associate kids youth workers operations admin premises you know and and we want to take on more but here are the staff salaries that's a huge part of what we support so you know at least we're saying it's not all going into buildings primarily it's going to people and alongside that, buildings and utilities, 24,000. Probably a bit low, actually, because the gas bills are about 60% higher than last year. Um, so that's the reality. And even like covering, for example, the coffee cups that we have. We've gone for a system with coffee cups. It costs a lot of money. But, you know, things are, are, are rising in price. We know that. That's the buildings and utilities. Are you going with this? Are you happy with this? bit of information for you. And then worship ministry, that's just the sort of things that happen around stuff. Uh, admin and other things, PAAV, stuff like that. And then mission, we give, commit to giving at least 10%, actually up to 13% away uh, towards mission and partners both in this country and beyond. And so I share that really just to say that's the budget for this year, but we have more in store that we want to see happen. But really, I suppose in our planning and, and, and things, we want to just encourage you to consider about your giving. I know many of you give, but some of you may not have started giving, or maybe it's just a moment to think, well, maybe I should increase my giving. Over the years, one of the things I've started to do in terms of how I'm giving, I've done a thing called round up. So sometimes when a thing comes to be presented to me, I think, well, how can I round it up in my giving? In fact, we decided, Mary and I talked about it this morning, we're going to round up our regular giving. Uh, It's not a huge amount, we're going to round it up to make it, you know, Round it up. Just like you do it when you round it up. I'm sure when you go to the restaurant, you think they ask for something. You tip, don't you? And you round up. I hope you do. I've been a waiter. I I, I love waiters, and I think they ought to be round up. I'm a tipping person. I love that. Um, You know, actually, we should always seek to round up the best we can. So I just lobbed that one in there. 
Um, and, and there's ways we can give. Sorry, I know I'm rushing through this, but it's really important because in a moment what we're going to do is I'm going to ask every single one of us on the little slip of paper to fill it in. So whether you're increasing your giving or, or whatever, it will be useful for you uh, and I think for each one of us just for a moment to say, Lord, where am I at in relation to that? So if you get the slip of paper um, out... Um, I'm going to encourage us all to try and fill that in. There are some pens available at the back, which the, uh, the team at the back will come around if you want to get those. But just running through it, the regular giving scheme, you can do it through your bank, through a standing order, uh, and we have forms for that that can help you. Um, less and less people tend to do that because you can actually go on the website now and you can just click your way through on the donations part and do that and go to the giving page. You can obviously give on a regular basis each week. Um, if you need a pen, put your hands up. There's pen people around that will help you. Um, but also, um, so there's opportunities at the back, contactless cash as well. But I want to say, it may not concern every one of you here, but if you are a UK taxpayer, please, please gift aid it. I mean, is it not amazing to think that you get 25% back purely for doing that? I mean, it's, a, it's like a bonus bonus page um, you know if you're giving a certain amount 25% comes back a whopping 25% from then to help us and support us from the government with no extra uh, pressure for you and obviously as well you can contribute in other ways legacies bequests other things like that you can do that look I'm going to draw to a close I've shared my heart uh, I hope you've caught it uh, in the end it's up to you it's a personal decision but what I want to try and do is that instead of it just being like we sometimes do with these things, we fill it in and then we just like, you know, um, it's only a few people. I want us all in one sense to stop and think and just for a moment pause and say, Lord, what does that mean? So on that slip of paper, if you can just jot down, it says very clearly there uh, what you give and fold it up as small as you want, put it in here. I won't look at these, all right? Jez, who's our wonderful treasurer, is just at the back there. If you have any questions about anything to do with this, talk to him. All right, he's going to be around over coffee, and he will answer any questions in relation to that. So can we just be quiet for a moment, and we're just going to have a bit of a reflection time. Just to say no pressure. If you are new today, absolutely no pressure on this front, okay? There's not any sense of that. Or if you're new to the church and you're still trying to work through where you're at, I just think it's, it's just useful for you. It might be you say, Lord, I want to... Just continue with where I'm at. It might be I just want to round up a little bit. Or it might be that actually I want to start for the first time giving. Um, and and um, so let's just be quiet for a moment. Give some space for us to think. But seek first the kingdom of, his, uh, of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father we come to you. um, And we say thank you that you're our father. You're our provider. And uh, Lord we give to you what you're calling us to as a church. We pray that you would just impress on our hearts the thing that you want for us. Uh, individually. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be hilarious givers. Lord, I pray that the, 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 the titter of laughs will be huge as we give ourselves abundantly to you. Amen.